Good day and welcome to Culture Carousel. This program is produced by 98.7 DZFE, The Master's Touch. I am your host, Irene De Jesus Obligacion. This week, let me introduce to you our artist in the spotlight, Renee Fajardo. Born in Manila, mezzo-soprano Renee Fajardo studied at Guildhall in London, then completed her master's degree in Toronto, where she is now based. Though she has been living abroad for years and has performed in numerous opera productions and solo recitals, Fajardo continues to work tirelessly for the communities she loves. Later, we talk about the most important lessons she has learned from her teachers, Pablo and Camille Molina, the surprises and challenges she encountered as a Filipino musician in Canada, and her hopes for Filipino music and the opera circle back home. But before the interview, let's hear Renee Fajardo, mezzo-soprano, performing Svelia Tevi Neil Cori from George Frederick Handel's Giulio Cesare, together with pianist Andrea Grant. Oh, 
Renee, so welcome to Culture Carousel. You recently completed your master's in opera performance from the University of Toronto. From your student days under Camille Lopez Molina and Pablo Molina to your professors abroad, what are the most important lessons they shared with you, which you practice until today? That's a lovely question. And I think if you'd asked me like a couple of years ago, I would have said something completely different. But now I think one, it's community. And two, go where the love is. <laughs> it's a really tough industry on so many levels. But one I've found, you know, in, in studying with Miss Camille and Sir Pabs, like what I really loved about working with them is just a sense of family that they always had with us, their students. And it's really what made me fall in love with the art form now when I think about it. It's the fact that when I look at my earliest days of learning how to sing, there was so much joy just because it was so much fun. Like we always ate at their table. I would basically sleep over in their house. Like when there were gigs, it would be late in the evening. And it was just such a profound experience of family and, and being able to explore creativity in a really, really supportive space. Unconsciously, I guess that's what I've always looked for in the instructors and teachers and coaches that I've since worked with. That's also what I've found that they resonate with. With my instructor, for example, like in the UK, Susan Waters, like she cared so much about her students. And I guess that's also where the go where the love is kind of like lesson comes from. Because it's such a tough industry, you want to be surrounded by people that will be honest with you about where you are artistically and technically, but also will do it out of love and not out of just wanting to be strict or, or wanting to go after perfection. And I think that's what I've found to have been really important, especially now that I'm I'm no longer in school, when jobs come, I, I always now look for not just jobs that are technically challenging or artistically challenging. I'm a bit more discerning in the sense that I want to work with people who also value community in the work that they do and people who have a genuine practice of compassion in dealing with their artists. And that's something that I've learned beyond hard work and beyond getting all of your German and French and Italian and vowels and consonants and technique at par with everyone else's. That's quite comforting. I mean, you know, usually when you're under teachers, it's always a distance between the teacher and the student, right? But from what you're describing now under Camille and uh, Pablo, the sense of family was so warm, no? so endearing. Yeah. When you're in the arts or anything that's really competitive in general as a field, the narrative of working hard and having grit and all those things, that's what's hammered into developing artists. And as I grow older, I also realize, you know, there's a danger to that. There's a danger to just telling your students to work hard and to forget about taking care of themselves. I think it's quite inherent. If you love what you do, you will work hard in it. But to actually be able to message to, to young artists that you are worthy of love <laughs> in what you do and with the people who are supposed to be there to support you, I think is, is something that's lacking generally and is really important to teach students to internalize. Mm -hmm. um, what is one thing that A, 
surprised or delighted you? B, challenged you as a Filipino musician working and performing in Canada? I'll go with the challenge first, immigration. It's <laughs> such a pain. <laughs> it's hard because you're a number in a system. And no matter how good you are and how committed you are and how much you, you love what you do, you come across a hurdle that's basically a system. You put all of your information on an online thing and then they either look at it or they don't. And that's very hard to swallow, especially when you're at a deadline and you don't know if you can if you're able to stay in the country or not. I've been lucky in the sense that I have had some, not I wouldn't say issues, but I've had like moments where it's just been super stressful having to deal with papers. And, and the truth is when you're in Canada, for better or worse, a lot of the programs that are catered towards the development of young artists are for Canadians. So it's for people that have permanent residence or have citizenship. And I'm neither of those. So it means that a lot of the opportunities to begin with that I would have, had I been Canadian, I would have qualified for, I couldn't pursue because I'm not. But at the same time, there's that challenge. But from there, it also, I just had to be a bit more creative as to what opportunities I, I sought after. And I think that's where part of the delight also comes from. Because then in that, I naturally had to gravitate towards people who could see me for what I do more than just as a singer. Like I currently work at Gateway Theater, for example, not as an opera singer. I work in education and community rentals or like artistic events for community organizations. And I went towards that because I became interested in what it means to have the arts become relevant in community spaces and, and delighted that I found people that are supportive of that, people that are supportive of the fact that, yes, I want to continue singing, but at the same time, I have other interests in the arts and other areas in the arts that I want to participate in and have a voice in. And I think that's something that I found was quite unique about the opera landscape here in Canada that it's changing towards that. More and more you have practicing artists, like performers who have other things around their performance that one, allow them to pay the bills because it's important. And it's very <laughs> hard to yeah. live off just a performance paycheck because as we know with COVID, when things started to shut down, there are no performances and arts around the world are still very much kind of like trying to cope with the effects of COVID. And so I think it was the importance of feeling like you're celebrated for the many different facets of your artistic life that you want to pursue. Like, that's what I found, like, really empowering here. Finding opportunities to sing, but then also finding good conversations with people that want to keep the arts relevant in more people's lives. And what has surprised you and delighted you with your work in Canada? Oh, I guess it's the support for independent opera creation and performances here. And the fact that I think I've been able to really build relationships with a lot of independent opera companies and independent artists. And they're such hardworking and very committed artists. They have something to say, like they advocate for their communities. And that's what I found really exciting and actually quite surprising that there's space for that kind of creation, that kind of, that kind of conversation in the very grassroots kind of level. It's really a land of opportunities, arts-wise and other levels, no? It is, but I think I think we're so used to talking about like abroad as like, oh, it's like a holy grail type of thing where you get there and then everything works out. And I think it's such a dangerous narrative to keep peddling, especially towards artists that want to have like a career pathway. And I say it's dangerous because I think when we talk about it, 
back home, certainly it was my experience. They kind of tell you, oh, you just have to make it abroad and then your career set. And you're like, it's that's not the case. That's, that's not how it works when you're abroad, right? No, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of finding community and building relationships and finding stuff that work for you. And again, a full-time job as a performer, I don't know like even how realistic that is for, for anyone anywhere. It can be done, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I find that it's so refreshing for me to be surrounded by other artists that are also interested in doing other things. Like a lot of the artists that I work with, they're administrators, they're teachers, they create their own companies and they generate their own work and they write grants and go to corporate sponsors. You know, like there's a lot of just practical muscle that people are willing to talk about. And I think that's something that when we focus so much on just having the high-flying performance career, that narrative gets kind of shunned to the side. And you realize that there's more than one way to have a life in the arts. And performance can be a part of it, but you can have the arts and performance in sporadic times in your life and still find it meaningful. And I think the more we talk about that, I think the happier artists are going to be and also the more practical we become when we plan our lives around it. You want to be in the arts forever if you love it, but it's also a practice of practicality <laughs> if you want to do it. Um, yeah, right. At the end of the day, what the reality really is, no? right? What is your primary hope for the art of operatic performance in the Philippines? One, that it just gets more support, like financially, audience-wise. And two, that the music gets performed more abroad. At the moment, if you're performing anything that's a Filipino work, you would more than likely be Filipino. But we have such a beautiful tradition of music that I always feel like it's so special when, when it gets performed anywhere that's not just the Philippines. And that's kind of my hope, that it gets just shared more. Like I certainly sing more kundiman in my repertoire, but I do that in the hopes that colleagues of mine will listen to it and also say that, oh, that's music that I want to sing. So then our music becomes part of what's traditionally considered as classical music. It's just very uniquely ours, but it is part of that tradition and it's beautiful. And yeah, the other is it's just like financial support opera. <laughs> because there's so many talented artists and just very, very hardworking people who absolutely love what they do. They're very committed and I don't know what it'll take to get that support, but maybe that's the next thing that we need to work on. I agree. I really love Filipino music. No? How I wish that the younger singers like you, artists, would really embrace it and you know show it to the world and expose it because our Filipino music is so beautiful, really. Yeah, they really are. And I think for anyone who's wanting to study abroad, and if you're Filipino, like, Start learning them if you want to go abroad because people will remember you for because no one else is singing the repertoire. You go to a concert and you're singing with like maybe five different other singers and they're all singing things in Italian, German, French. And you bring something that's just as emotionally impactful and powerful, but is in a completely different language that no one in a panel or even an audience will understand. It's so special. And I think yeah. especially if you speak the language, like I grew up in the Philippines, so I speak Tagalog fluently and I understand the language and it's so grounding to be able to sing kundiman and songs in Tagalog. But at the same time too, like it allows you that very genuine kind of just like relationship with the song that I think audiences feel when they hear it. It's something that I certainly feel is more mine than any 
operatic aria that I learn no matter how hard I work on it. <laughs>
The Bear is an opera by 20th century composer William Walton. We heard I Was a Constant, Faithful Wife from that opera. And before the interview, Sevilla TV, Neil Corey from Handel's Giulio Cesare. Both pieces from mezzo-soprano Renee Fajardo with pianist Andrea Grant. We will close with a final performance from our featured artist Renee Fajardo. Here is La Tremenda Ultrice Spada from Vincenzo Bellini's E. Capuletti e I. Montecchi. Thank you. 
That was mezzo-soprano Renee Fajardo, rendering with pianist Andrea Grant, La Tremenda Ultrice Spada, from Vincenzo Bellini's E. Capoletti, E. E. Montecchi. And that's all for this Culture Carousel. Do join me again at the same time next week for another impression of the Filipino classical music scene. Culture Carousel is produced by 98.7 DCFE, The Master's Touch. And this has been your host, Irene De Jesus Obligacion.